We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It's Friday, July 17th. Nick Whalen back as always with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, before we dive into what I, I think is going to be a really fun episode, I'm, I'm more jazzed up for this one than I've been in a while. Um, it's been kind of a, a long slog um, back to the NBA returning, which is now 13 days away, only less than two weeks. But I was alerted this morning that it is Vander Blue's 28th birthday. That's Madison, Wisconsin native. Vander Blue, ex Marquette superstar Vander Blue. Um, I did not know this. He is the second leading scorer in the history of the G League. Wow. How is that possible? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking at his stats right now, and he <laughs> he's played a lot in the G League. Yeah, I guess I mean I if you're if you've played like seven years in the G League without going overseas, like at any point, yeah. it's pretty rare. 
He has eclipsed Andre Ingram, <clears throat> oh which is God. fairly surprising. Andre Ingram has played in 449 G League games. <laughs> Vander Blue has played in 239. I so mean, he's, he's averaging 20 a game in the G League for his career, which is pretty impressive. The the Andre Ingram saga seems like an entirely different reality at this. I mean, it did at the time. Yeah, but, but now even more so. So what year was that? Was that 2017-18? I think so. That he came so. up? I think so. I don't I'm think LeBron was there. I don't think LeBron would have allowed No, he wasn't. Time. He wasn't. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. Well, he played for he did play for the Lakers last year too, but to considerably less fanfare. Yeah, I mean, he played yeah, he played 32 minutes a game in those two appearances in 2017-18. So that's that was the that was the year. I think you know, it had been a rough decade for the Lakers, you know, beginning with Kobe tearing his Achilles and you know the the Nash signing and all that like not not a ton went right for the Lakers after they won that last title but I think that was the the absolute lowest point for the Lakers was the Andre <laughs> experience like of any team that did that like that's something that like the Charlotte Hornets should be doing like that that yeah. was just a I mean it was a cool story I guess and the Lakers had nothing to lose at that point but man I mean that was for a, a franchise that is as proud as the Lakers I, I honestly couldn't believe that they allowed that to happen. Yeah, it was it was bizarre for the Lakers. It was. It was. So anyway, happy 28th to Vander Blue. Hopefully, I mean, if he can just get back to the G League and play like, I mean, how many more games are we talking? It, the gap between him and number one is fairly thin. He's within he's within like 150-ish points. He has 48, 45, and the, the all-time leader, Ronaldo Major, never heard of this man, the only 5,000 point scorer in G League history is at 5,058. So, I mean, Blue, if he could just play like 10 to 15 more games, he would probably he would probably eclipse it pretty easily. Well, that, I mean, that will be for one of our future pods. We'll make that yeah. announcement. Yeah, we're on we're on milestone watch right now. So we wanted to do kind of a concept pod for today. You know, we we covered most of the news from the week on Wednesday, and not much has broken since then. Um, you know, we're kind of still in that that holding period where, where guys are arriving. Some guys are arriving unknowingly wearing Blue Lives Matter masks. Uh, others are not doing that. But for the most part, things are on track and we'll start scrimmages next week. And, you know, hopefully at that point, we'll start to get some more concrete news, you know, things like rotation changes, lineup changes, et cetera. But for now, um, we wanted to go back and we took a look at probably seven or eight of the NBA roundtable articles that we put up, you know, weekly or biweekly during the season. And, we wrote down, you know, some of our best takes from those and some of our worst takes from those articles. And, you know, you and I, I think, tend to be a little more conservative with our with our predictions in these than, than some of the other guys on staff. So, yeah, I, w- I would hesitate to say hesitant to say that there's like anything insane that we said. Like, I didn't read through and be like, did I really pick Quinn Cook to win MVP? Like, what was I thinking? With that said, <laughs> there were plenty of misses uh, for both of us. And I, I'm looking forward to combing through those, you know, both fantasy and non-fantasy related. So I will kick things to you. You can either start with one of your best takes or one of your worst takes from earlier this season. Uh, I'm actually going to, I'm going to do the, we had a round table where we, one of the questions was to predict where free agents would go. Mm-hmm. And I went one for five, I think. Um, I predicted Durant would go with the Nets. But everybody else I got wrong of the big free agents. I had had Kawhi going back to Toronto. I had Jimmy Butler staying in Philly. 
I had Kemba Walker going to the Lakers, and I had D'Angelo Russell going to the Suns. Obviously, I wasn't the only ones with those picks, but going one for five, not great. But I do contend that had all those players stayed in those places, it might have been more fun. You should have been right, is what you're trying to say. (laughs) Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, those players made the wrong, the agents, the teams, not consulting that roundtable was their first mistake. Yeah, I would go as far as to say that if they had gone where you predicted that they would go, you would have been right. You know, you would have gone five for five um, had they just, had that just been how things turned out. Yeah, I mean that sounds right. <laughs> so who were the players again that we predicted? Uh, Kawhi, Jimmy, Kemba, D'Angelo Russell, and Durant. Okay. Okay, I, I know think for sure. I, I don't think I went five for five, for five on those. I looked at yours. You, I think you at least went three for five, if not four for five. Okay. I, I have like eight tabs open of these round tables, so I'm trying to like shuffle through and like control control F for Jimmy Butler. Um, <laughs> but I can I can assure you, no matter what, I did not uh, I did not hit that one on the head. I think I had D'Angelo Russell wrong, if I recall. I think everybody had him wrong. Like nobody was like, you know what, I'm going off the board. I think D'Angelo Russell is going to be signed and traded to the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I mean, if somebody had the Timberwolves, I think they'd get, they get they would get partial credit for that. Right. Okay, so I'm looking at mine now. I had Kawhi to the Clippers. I had Jimmy Butler staying with the Sixers. Um, Shannon had Jimmy Butler going to the Clippers. I don't remember that ever being like a real possibility. No offense, Shannon. Ken had, had Butler going to the Rockets. Was that a thing back then? We published this uh, on June 27th. So this is you know kind of right at the start of free agency. Or a little bit before. I don't know. It, it might have been one of those things where the money could have lined up and everyone kind of wanted it to happen yeah. or thought it would be interesting if it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so you have Kemba to the Lakers. I briefly I remember getting excited about that. Yeah, because they had a ton of money. I yeah. mean, they were going for Kawhi. And right. then they. I thought they would just back out of that and then just try to get Kemba. And I think that would have been awesome. But yes, exactly. Kemba's- and instead, they—that's one of the things I have in my bad predictions column—is um, well, actually no, it was in my good column. Sorry, I think I—I I basically called that the Lakers would do exactly what they did and wait way too long on Kawhi, and in the meantime, <laughs> all of these guys that they probably should have been going hard for, like Kemba, uh, would end up signing, and and that's kind of what happened. Like Kawhi didn't sign until what, like, was it July sixth or seventh? And obviously, it would have been worth it. And by all accounts, the Lakers were very much in it, you know, until, until OKC was really willing to pull the trigger on the PG deal. I, I think he probably ends up with the Lakers and, you know, who knows how tenable that situation is, or, you know, I mean, that, that flips the NBA on its head essentially. But I mean, in the, at, at the end of the day, do you think it was worth it for the possibility, the very real at the time possibility that Kawhi was going to come to the Lakers? Was it worth them waiting out all these free agents and eventually kind of settling for like Danny Green, Dwight Howard, et cetera? Uh, I mean, I think if you could have guaranteed yourself Kemba Walker, that I think you should have, they should have done that. Like, if you think there's a 50% or less than 50% chance of getting Kawhi, maybe you just, if you know you can get Kemba, you would do that. But, I mean, I want to say it's worth it. I mean, because really, if they had those three guys, it would be like a wrap, right? Like, it would be, you would expect them to win the next three titles. So, exactly. yeah, bet, like having to, having to, you know, ending up with, um. Yeah, I mean, lesser role players than even would have been expected is not great, but they're 
they're still managing. LeBron has done more with less before. Yeah, it's kind of worked out for both sides in a lot of ways. I mean, I think the fact that the Lakers, you know, that, that was one one like general prediction, you know, not one specific thing. But in general, I was much lower on the Lakers. I, I think I took their under at 51 and a half. And, you know, they were they were most certainly going to hit that uh, had the season played out as normal. And I, I think, yeah, the, the, the possible mistake of waiting too long for Kawhi and not getting him was kind of erased by just how well LeBron and Davis played together and, you know, the contributions that they got from guys like Dwight and Alex Caruso that, you know, we very quickly forgot that they really missed out on, on Kawhi Leonard and things could have been much different. So it ended up working out best for both sides. I mean, it's obviously I'm a LeBron guy, but that would have been a little much in some ways. Like it would have been kind of hard to root for, especially like as much as I deep down, like, didn't love Durant going to the Warriors. Like this wouldn't have been a whole lot different than that. No, it it, it would <laughs> no. It would it would have it would have technically been different because it wasn't like salary cap magic, but it, yeah. it would have felt it would have felt very, very similar. I know. Um, it would have put yeah, me it would have put me personally in a very tough spot, is what I'm trying to say. I think <laughs> I I'm sure Kawhi took that into consideration. So give me some of your your uh positive predictions that you feel better about, you know, looking back now, almost eight months later? Um, well, I was really high on Zach Levine, but that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily like an out there pick at the time. I think, I think there was a lot of people who thought that he could take a step forward with the bulls. But, um, I guess, I mean, I, I actually liked Chris Paul at some point we were doing a, uh, we did our draft in Vegas, which was, uh, it was a points draft, but that wasn't really relevant to the, to the point I was making. Um, <laughs> where uh, someone took Chris Paul 51st, and I thought that he should have been drafted way higher than that. And right now, as we're here, Chris Paul's the 11th best fantasy player, which, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I couldn't have predicted that. But um, at least that was something that, that I got right, even though I think, you know, I I always think drafting Chris Paul is risky. But yeah. That's something I had in my bad column as well was being low on Chris Paul. But at the same time, like you said, I don't really feel bad about it because all of the evidence suggested you have to you have to ding this guy like a round or two, honestly, because of the the injuries. And, you know, who knows, had the season kept playing out, maybe he still had a hamstring injury in him. But I think he missed only one game right before the shutdown. Uh, That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, it. he was he was one of the better values overall um, in all of fantasy. But before the shutdown, I'd. Speaking of the Vegas league, I took Blake in that league. I ignored my own advice. Like everything I just said about Chris Paul goes for Blake Griffin times like 10. Right. And for some reason I, I decided to take him. And I like I was like, yeah, I love this pick in our write-up. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, to be fair though, I mean, this draft takes place on like the third day of Vegas at, you know, at the pool at like 4 PM. I, I, I think halfway through the draft, you and I just like went to the pool and had people like ferry our picks in to the tent. So it's not like we were really, you know, this wasn't like the most intensive drafts that we participate in. Uh, no, we were all like David Kahn level GMs, uh, during this draft, but like drunk David Kahn. Yeah. I think um, I let Molly make my last two picks. I, Hey, you know, uh, whatever works. I mean, at some point I put this in my good column as a joke. You had one of the questions being, who was the biggest reach of the draft? And I said, Ish Smith was a reach in round six. <laughs> so that uh, gives you an idea of the state of people during this draft. Yeah. Well, I, one, one other thing from Vegas in my good column was I, I called both Kobe White and Kevin Knox reaches in the eighth round, which, I mean, Kobe White, 
for that for like the last month of the year before the shutdown was pretty good and i I think everybody kind of knew he might not translate to fantasy just because he was such a scoring and three-point specialist so i I thought that was a reach at the time drafting kevin knox in any round of any draft is inexcusable (laughs) he uh, his his career is on the line honestly it is it honestly is he was he has been for each of the last two years like when you start to dig into the advanced stuff like he's like a bottom five player in the league whenever he plays yeah, it's 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 really bad. And like I thought we saw him play in summer league and I thought he looked good. I mean, he was hitting his shots, though. So, you know, it's one of those things where you see him on a night where he hits his shots and he's like the six foot ten guy. You can also like drive to the rim a little bit. You're like, you can you can see why they liked him. But yeah, the reality is he hits his shots like, you know, 15 out of the 82 games. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to say it. I'm out on Kevin Knox. I, I I hope I'm proved wrong. There's I don't know if there's ever been a turnaround where like, yeah, I remember when he was the worst player in the league for three years and now he's a top five player. Like I, I don't see that happening. I don't either. Um Yeah. Uh well, okay, so give me one of give me one of your give me one of your takes, whether it was good or bad. I'll just go through I mean, we have quite a list here. I don't think we want to go one by one. So I'll just I'll rifle through a couple. Um I was pretty high on the Lakers getting Davis. I think one of the questions, you know, right after the trade happened was um, more or less like, did the the Lakers give up too much for Anthony Davis? Should they have, um, you know, just kind of walked away from the table at some point, you know, because obviously the way things have worked out, we haven't really talked about that in forever. But I mean, that was a major, major trade and they gave up a ton. And I think Brandon Ingram ended up being even more valuable than the Lakers thought he was at the time of the trade. I I wrote, you know, like, yeah, they gave up too much, but you still have to do it. And, you know, a lot of people had that take at the time. And it's certainly not unique, but I think that was borne out. You know, it was well worth it. Davis is that good. He was, you know, a top five player in fantasy. He was probably a top seven or eight player overall in the league this year, maybe a little bit higher if you put more premium on his defense. Um, so that turned out well. Uh, I was pretty low on the Hawks. I know one, one of the roundtables um, was asking about, you know, some of the under-the-radar teams you could see making the playoffs, and a lot of people were picking the Bulls and the Hawks. I wasn't necessarily all that out on the Bulls. You know, we've, we've talked about their roster at length, like on how much we like it on paper, but I was fully out on the Hawks, um, and that, that was, of course, proven to be true as well. Um, and then the last thing that I feel okay about is I, I was fairly low on Zion throughout all this. You know, we obviously we didn't see him play until, like, January, but we were still, you know, asking a lot of questions about him, and there was a lot of buzz about him. And, you know, I was always kind of like, let's let's wait and see. You know, I, I think we we asked a question back in, I think it was late January. It was after Zion had played like seven or eight games about where do you take Zion next year? And there was a lot of like end of the first round, you know, early second round. You have to keep in mind, as, as good as he's been as a scorer and, and a rebounder, like he's really not been an effective fantasy player thus far. He hasn't been, you know, his, his value as a real player is, is significantly higher than his fantasy value. Well, he's not actually that great of a rebounder on defense. Um, no. That's the thing. Like he's a he's an off he's a he's an incredible offensive rebounder. But he's only averaging six point eight rebounds per game right now. Um, yeah, I think I was the lowest on Zion. I said that he I would draft him in like the fourth or fifth round, which that might be too low. But on the other hand, like you said, he's not passing uh, or he's not getting assists really, like two a game. He's not really getting steals or blocks right now. His rebounding isn't great. His free throw percentage is t- like horrible on a really high volume. He, 
And I, I said that the, the gap between his actual talent and his fantasy value is the biggest in the league. And I still think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I think people still draft him really high because there, there is that possibility that he, yeah, you know, with that extra year in the league, he just cleans some of that up. Because if he shoots, you know, 7% better from the free throw line and he grabs two rebounds and he gets another assist, that's going to, you know, it's going to bump things up. And it wouldn't surprise me if he made some developments like that. But um, I think it's I think it's all right to pump the brakes on Zion. And I think once we actually get closer to next season's drafts, whenever that is, people will look back at his numbers and realize that he just wasn't really an effective fantasy player right. um, outside of like DFS and, and points leagues. He's the ultimate guy who you just want to own because he's fun. You know, the same reason that in 2005, people were probably overdrafting Michael Vick in fantasy football. You just want this guy on your team. And I think that right. that has to be accounted for. Like, you know, unless you're playing in a, a real you know, high stakes league where, where people are really clued in on this stuff, he's probably going to go 10 or 15 spots higher than he should. And in some cases, maybe even two or three rounds higher than he should just because of the name value. Um, one thing that you got right and I got wrong, we we asked you know, of the, the kind of consensus top five guys uh, at, at the time, you know, back in September, October, who was the most risky? And I, I said it was Anthony Davis because of the injury history. You said um, you said it was Steph Curry. And I, you know, a few people named Curry, but I, to me, I, I kind of thought he was just blindly going to be a lock to, you know, maybe if the Warriors only win 46 games, 45 games, whatever it might be, you know, he might average 33 points a game and nine assists. And for all we know, maybe that was going to happen. But, you know, of course, he was the one, not Davis, who ended up, um, you know, who ended up succumbing to injury. Yeah, I was worried about, uh, I guess, two things. I was just worried about him resting, first of all. Like, uh, basically, like, you know how Dray, what Draymond did this year, right. where it was like he had a sore shoulder and he'd sit out like three games or whatever. So I was worried about that happening because I was, I was also just worried about, you know, all the playoff minutes on him and that that would lead to increased injury. And like, I, I I think I would have said that Anthony Davis was probably the second most risky for the exact same like injury reasons, but Curry having such little rest in between seasons, he has an extra, you know, like season and a half on his body in terms of like playoff minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I just, I, I just thought he was the most risky at the same time. I still liked his value for like MVP because yeah. had he hit, you know, I think I can't remember what his exact odds were, but it was like five to one, maybe seven to one, something around there. So, um, like, I obviously like his upside, but but I was risky. So we were both pretty high on Bam Adebayo. That ended up being uh, one of one of our better calls overall. Um, you know, we, we around draft season, you know, we did a lot of like, all right, looking at this draft, who went too high, who went too low. And one of the one of the common themes for both of us was, you know, Bam Adebayo is, is being drafted too low. I you know, vividly remember in my NFBKC draft taking Porzingis over Adebayo, which didn't end up being like a disaster, but I, I just, for some reason, like froze and just could not pull the trigger on Bam. And I think it was like the end of round two. And that would have, that would have been a great value. I mean, he was the first time all-star and was, you know, maybe even more valuable in fantasy than he was in, in real life. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us could have, you know, kind of saw his, points and rebounds and his blocks coming. But the thing that really pushed him over the top was the assists and the overall efficiency. And um, maybe even the amount of shots he, he, he takes. Cause I, I didn't expect him to be you know, as much of a part of the offense as he was. And I think that's what, that's what it comes down to. So like 
taking Porzingis over him, I think was fine. And in the end, I think it's panned out pretty evenly. Um, but yeah, I think I think we kind of knew how many minutes he was going to get. It was one of those situations where it's like, you know, you can kind of prorate a guy's minutes out to like 30 or 35 yeah. a game, similar to like Hassan Whiteside or something, where it's like, well, if you know Hassan's going to play 30 minutes a game, then you have to have yeah. him and you have to draft him high. So here's a question. I, I think I know the answer, or I at least have my answer, but I, I think it would have been it would have been really interesting to if to like poll 100 NBA people back in September and then ask the same question now. For the next five years, you have one of these guys on a max deal. Would you rather have Porzingis or Adebayo? Oh. Um, wow, that's actually really hard. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think it just comes down to injury. Like, I think it, it it's just like, I, I think that the variance for Przingis is really high because of his injuries, but he's a more modern player. He's a way better offensive player. He's still a great shot blocker, um, can play two positions, but, and like Adebayo is a more traditional center, obviously, mm-hmm. but he's, he's really great at that. I don't, I don't know, honestly. I think I, I'd take Bam. <sighs> I mean, he's missed. Yeah. He's missed almost no time. Porzingis, you know, to me, still carries pretty significant injury risk. Not not just because of the torn ACL, but just because he's seven three. Right. And Adebayo, Adebayo can't stretch the floor. Porzingis is a better shot blocker. I would argue that Adebayo is a more versatile overall defender. Not not maybe not quite the rim protector that Porzingis is. But the the one thing that steers me away from Porzingis more than anything, yeah, he's a great free throw shooter for his size, which is excellent. Uh, you know, a, a pretty good three-point shooter, career 36, but he kind of has that Kevin Love like field goal percentage issue. Like he, he for being seven foot three, he shot 42% from the field this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can't really score inside very well, which yeah. it seems impossible. And like it, we were kind of robbed of the season where in New York, where he was just going to take every shot, right? right? Like he was he was going to post up, he was going to take fadeaways, and he was going to try to you know, get better at his game down there than the injury happens. And now he's mostly a, uh, uh, like, pick-and-pop three-point shooter. Right. I mean, the amount of times he just, like, drains a 30-footer from the top of the three-point line. Like, he's incredible yeah. at that. And that can win you a playoff series. He's, but, like, he's awesome, but I still feel like he's, like, underutilized. Or he hasn't, he's really hasn't, like, unlocked his full potential or anything close to it. Oh, I agree. Like his post game is horrible and it shouldn't be like, I know he's skinny and his yeah. center gravity is really high, but he should be able to just do like jump hooks over anybody. Right. Under six foot nine. Or foot. Yeah. That, well, that's the thing with him is he's not six eleven or even seven feet. He's seven three. Like he has a massive height advantage on most of the guys guarding him and he, he just doesn't take advantage of it. And still the rebounding has never been great. It was a little better this year. Uh, that was a kind of a major issue for him. His first three years, you know, being that tall, being around the rim and, you know, only pulling down like six and a half rebounds his last healthy season. He was up to nine and a half this year. And and that's huge. You know, playing playing more true center. You know, obviously the, the Mavs losing Dwight Powell helped with that in a roundabout way. Um, so that was good to see improvement there. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it, the field goal percentage can kind of be boiled down to he's only taking eight and a half two point attempts per game and he's taking seven threes a game. So, you know, naturally it's going to be weighted um you know a, a little bit unfairly compared to other centers but still 42 percent overall is, is is very low yeah i just i don't know if i mean do you think that do you think that porzingis can be 
your second best player and win a title? And do you think Bam Adebayo can be your second best player to win a title? Because I think Bam might have to be your third best player. Well, I think Przingis can maybe be your second best player. Although maybe that's only if your first best player is Luka Doncic. Right. Or your first best player is Giannis or LeBron. That That's what it depends yeah. on. You know, if if you have Kawhi Leonard and Kristaps Porzingis, you can win a title. If you have Jimmy Butler and Kristaps Porzingis, I don't know if you can win a title. If you have LeBron and Bam, you can win a title. If you have, I, I don't know. I, I think I think Bam can be your second best player. I, I mean, because he's pretty damn good. I mean, where is he ranked right now in the NBA? Like somewhere between 15 and 25. If you're ranking players, yeah. just best overall players, yeah. he's probably a, maybe towards the end of that list. Like, there's not that many players ahead of him. So, you know, unless you're pairing him with Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker, you know, then it starts to get pretty iffy. And then then you'd want him to be your third guy. But if you're pairing him with a top ten player, I I think he can definitely be the second best. Yeah, and I think I I think this season's playoffs will tell us a lot about that. Yes, because he's gonna they're gonna be in the tough series the whole way. Yep. Yep. All right, so on the other end of the spectrum for me, you know, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for, for loving Bam and still not taking him in a lot of drafts. Uh, in the Vegas League, I called Jason Tatum a reach at 44th. <laughs> okay, that's wild, though, because I remember you in the office later when we were doing our projections, getting into an argument with Shannon. Yeah. About, you were saying Tatum could average almost 30, and Shannon was like, Correct. there's no way, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what if if nothing else, this is just going to show how contradictory I am, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is all that is all factual. I no, I mean, your your opinion can change, but was that but was that a uh, oh, if that was the Vegas league though, that's a points league, right? So I mean, Tatum's efficiency in his three point shooting doesn't take as much of a factor there. So that actually that that may that's not a uh, that's not a huge contradiction actually. Right, and I I, I mean, where did he rank? as of like Christmas day or as of mid January, like probably around there. Right. I mean, I, I think his last like month and a half kind of colored how we think about him now. And rightfully so. I mean, he, he completely flipped the narrative with how well he played, but that, that wasn't looking that far off at least for the first few months of the year. No, you and I went kind of opposite on, there was a Brandon Ingram question um, on, on one of these round tables about, you know, when Zion comes back. Uh, I think I, I noted that I would consider selling high on Brandon Ingram. And, you know, I mean, Zion only ended up playing a few weeks, so it probably wasn't a bridge that most people had to cross. But I was kind of waiting for some Ingram regression. And even when Zion came back, there was a little bit. It was more just, you know, kind of losing a little bit of usage because you're you're incorporating another guy who's going to put up 25 a night. But Ingram never really fell off at any point all the way up to mid-March. No, I think, you know, I think if they played together the whole time, like if they were on the court together all the time, that would create some issues for Ingram. Sure. But I think you almost want to separate those guys. Like, you want to have Lonzo and Zion play together mm-hmm. because they feed off of each other really well. I don't know if you necessarily want Ingram with Zion as much as possible. You want Ingram with, like, Drew Holiday or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I just thought that, like, I mean, Ingram at least turned himself into such a good three-point shooter mm-hmm. that if his role became a little more spot of three-point shooting and a little less ball handling, that it would be fine because he would just hit hit a few more threes or whatever. I just didn't think it would, it would be so relevant that you would need it to sell, I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. In my bad column, I just have R.J. Barrett. Nothing specific. <laughs> just that that one did not work out for me. That's all I have to say. I was, I think, notoriously low on him the entire time. Um, yeah. Well, you might, be, you might be right in the short term, but I'll be right in the long term. 
I remain when, he turn, when he turns into the worst version of DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> then you will be the you will be the one laughing at me. Minor setback for a major comeback. Yes. Uh, in terms of over unders, I I went way under on the Hornets. I think I famously said they might win like single digit games. I think I called them the worst roster since the Sixers when they were trying to build a bad roster. Um, I also had the Blazers over, which, you know, injuries ended up being a major component of that. Uh, but they were certainly in no danger of hitting that over before the shutdown. We didn't know about Devontae Graham, though. That is true. That's what that is true. That's Honestly, what that might Hornets, not have even known he was on the roster. That's, <laughs> that's what that Hornets over-under comes down to. Honestly, it's 100% Devontae Graham swinging that over-under. Because uh, if he wasn't there, that team could would unquestionably not even be close to uh, hitting their over-under. I had two bad over-under bets. I had Wizards under 27.5 with the quote, Beal isn't this good. Ooh. Uh, yeah, that's a rough 30-point-per-game score, Brad Beal? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Could have been a different one, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I just... I mean, I meant that I didn't think he could drag the team, but then I probably should have realized that anybody average it who could average, like, you know, 30 points. Because I think I still had him... I think I still had him relatively high, like in my fantasy rankings, like 10th or 15th or something like that. I just didn't think he would translate to wins because I just don't think those types of players often translate to wins. And they suck still. Um, but I, just didn't, I didn't think they would go over that hump. And then I, like probably a lot of other people, took the Raptors under 46 and a half wins. Because um, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily believe the stats that were like, well, this team is still amazing without Kawhi Leonard. I was just like, it. at some point... That that has to go back. Like at some point, there has to be noise. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't factor in Nick Nurse being the best coach in the league, and uh, I didn't think Fred Van Vliet was this good, and I didn't think the rest of the roster would even be able to like pull things together when guys were hurt. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I don't know if I ever actually put this in writing anywhere, but I was a hundred percent wrong on the Raptors. I, I know for sure I said it on multiple pods back in the fall. I you know I thought they'd be I thought they'd be a very good team I, I I thought they would like bounce back and be resilient and and put together a nice season never never would have thought they would finish in second place in the regular season and you know still kind of look like maybe the best foil to Milwaukee even without Kawhi Leonard which is insane I mean I, I don't is there another team in the league that could lose by far their best player and put together a year where they go I'm trying to do the math like 26 games over 500. Uh, well, the Pacers are trying to do that. Wait, eight games over 500? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Pacers. But, I, I, I mean, to still have the upside that Toronto does. You know, like, people, there are people out there that think Toronto could be the team that beats Milwaukee, which is crazy. Like, I, at no point, even, you know, obviously Toronto beat Milwaukee last year, but with Kawhi. You know, like, we've seen LeBron, whatever team he leaves, you can factor in, like, a 20 to, and I guess in the Cavs' case, is like, 60-win difference from year to year. If Denver loses Jokic... You know, that team probably falls right. apart. If the Clippers lose Kawhi, you know, I don't think Paul George has really shown that he's a great enough player to to just automatically pencil them in for the two seed in the West. And even teams like Philly, Boston, like you take away Jason Tatum from Boston, you know, with Kemba Walker's question marks, obviously that's a completely different team. Philly's been an enigma, but you take Joel Embiid away. And I think even though he is inconsistent, at times, like he's still the reason that people view that team as having that much upside. So, I mean, that's just a long way of saying, I guess, like it, it's pretty unbelievable. And I would think relatively unprecedented for a team to lose 
not only a star player, but a guy who, you know, when we were having this discussion back in the fall was arguably the best player in the world at that point to lose him and then still win 46 games is astonishing. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's my entire argument for Nick nurse being coach of the year. Yeah. I mean, I I think I'm on the record as saying I would give it to, I think I said Scott Brooks. I I know the wizards are 16 games (laughs) under 500, but they had, they had no business being as risky as they were uh, with that roster. And he's going to be, he's going to be coaching for his life uh, with that roster that they're bringing to Orlando. Oh, and Bradley Beal really isn't that good. So like he's not that good. He's getting the most out of him. Just not that good. Brad, Brad Ellis, Mate (laughs) Beal. Um, one of the worst predictions that I had, uh, in one of the round tables, um, I think we were asked to, well, we were asked, I was, I'm the one who writes the questions. We'll peek, peek behind the curtain here. So I asked myself and others who are guys, you know, being drafted you know, in the late rounds or, you know, guys who are kind of right on the fringe of being drafted, who you're, you're higher on than most, uh, or lower on. I was very low on Fred Van Vliet and Jonathan Isaac. Not good. And I wrote <laughs> that I was very high on Alex Len. I too was very high on Alex Len. I know. I was all over that. Um, I also like Dennis Cantor. I like Nick Batum. I liked Kent Bazemore. I like Jeff Teague. And I liked Gary Harris. I stand by a lot of those as far as like Gary Harris was worth a late round flyer. Jeff Teague looked like he'd play well. You need Bazemore for the Batum one. one. Uh, he was supposed to be the best player on the the, the second best player on the Hornets. <laughs> he was he's gonna be he's gonna be their point forward. Uh, I I blame Devonte Graham for for my take being uh, bad there. Um, okay. But I did so I I thought those guys would be good late round flyers and they were bust for the most part. But I actually hit on one which was T.J. Warren and he's ranked 47th right now. Um, because by a miracle, he stayed healthy. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's all fair. That was a good call by you. Uh, another bad call by me was one of the questions that I wrote began with the phrase, assuming Milwaukee and Philly are locked in as the top two teams in the East, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that's how everyone felt though. Yeah. I mean, like Zach Lowe had them winning the title at the beginning of the year. He's been, he's acknowledged that plenty of times. Like I think, yeah. It's it's not age well, but it's it's not you. It's not like you were being radical or you were like forcing your opinion on people with that question. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just they're in sixth place. They're not in third. They're not in fourth. <laughs> it's just it just doesn't are. look great. They are behind the Pacers. Yeah. Um, what else do you have? I don't have too much else. Um, uh, in my good column, I, I thought the Mavericks could also take a step or they could take a step towards contention, but in that same breath, I also said the Kings could. Uh, And then uh, two more. It's kind of went back to our Kobe White thing, which people really seem to like Kobe White, but I said, uh, the Bulls hate Chris Dunn, so Kobe White should eventually see starters minutes. I think that was pretty spot on. Uh, And then I had the Bucks to win the title at plus 480 as the top value bet for the NBA championship. And that's now down to plus two forty. but that also wasn't, that wasn't like a hot take or anything, obviously. Right. I, uh, yeah, I mean, but considering where the value is now, it's basically half of that at plus two forty. Right. And if you, if you jumped on, on plus four eighty, you got yourself a good deal. My last one that I have in the good column is we, we were talking about non, uh, non favorite MVP vets. And I, I said, I like LeBron at plus 1100, 
and Jokic at plus 1300. And of course, neither of those guys are going to win it. I think we all kind of agreed that it's like, all right, if it's not going to be Giannis, then who do you look at? You know, we weren't saying that LeBron and Jokic were going to win it, but I mean, in terms of value, those guys are going to be right there. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, if you, if you look at the updated odds and, you know, LeBron, I I think in in the eyes of the, the lamestream media, Apparently, it was like a 50-50 MVP race that, as of like March 10th. Um, but, you know, if you're following the odds, it was never really all that close. And and I fully expect Giannis to win his second straight MVP. And it, I don't know if it'll be unanimous, but it'll probably be close. Yeah, that's... I don't know. I don't know if it'll be close. I, I also like Jokic, but I liked all of the Nuggets. I was all over, like, trying to bet Nuggets you know, like over wins to get the Western Conference Finals, Jokic MVP. I thought all those odds were were good value at some point during the season, if not the preseason. All right. Do you have anything else um, kind of not good or bad? Uh, no, that's all my that's all I got in here. How about you? Not much. I mean, I I, I just kind of wanted to ask you, I know we already hit on this a little bit, but like where would you take Zion? going into next year because chances are you know maybe maybe there will be some injuries that happen in Orlando that that change things and you know we'll see what happens with the draft but I don't think we're looking at that class as like chock full of you know top 100 guys for next year but like you know the hype aside like where would you be comfortable taking him right now based on the production that we've seen and you know you can factor in some progression but I don't I don't know if you can also just be like all right I I think next year he's going to be a 30 12 and 5 guy all of a sudden (laughs) right um I mean, I wrote before the season that I thought he was a he was a third round guy, and I, I think I'll stick by that now. Mm-hmm. Like I think I I don't know if I'd want to take him earlier than that because if you look at the first two rounds of most like fantasy drafts or what we would predict to be the first two rounds of most fantasy drafts, I think that they're, they're pretty set. And for Zion to basically leap over uh, to leap over like definitively any people who are established all-stars essentially, or established all NBA players, mm-hmm. that's going to be really tough. And like we mentioned, I don't think his, I don't think his game is fantasy friendly. Um, you have to factor in the upside, but yeah, I think I, I, I'm not sure I would take him any earlier than the, than the third round. How about you? Same here. I, I tend to be, fairly conservative with guys like that. I mean, IE Bam Adebayo this past year, like, you know, there's, there's a very good chance that if Zion stays healthy, he, he could exceed that value, you know, just based on, on the potential that we've been seeing on a, on a night to night basis when he was playing. But like you said, I mean, it, it, a lot of it is, you know, kind of wishful thinking as far as what he's going to progress in, in, in terms of which categories, you know, like he's, obviously a great score already. So if, you, if you're just going to get 25 a game, like that's a pretty great place to start. You're going to insulate your value. Um, you know, you can only fall so far when you're, when you're scoring at that rate and basically shooting 60% from the field. But I, I also think on the same token, it's really, really hard to become a second round value. If you are one only contributing, you know, like one and a half steals and blocks per game. And two, you know, in, especially if you're in a league and that, that counts three pointers, which almost every league does at this point, like, he hit how many threes did he hit? I think like five total. Yeah. And I think it was all in one all game. Of them in one game. Yeah. Right. All of them, if not all but one, I think came in, in one game. Okay. So he hit six threes and those came in three separate games and he went, that means he went 16 games without hitting a three pointer. That's concerning. And in most of those games yeah. didn't even take. Right. I mean, his shot is awful. It looks horrible. He he doesn't get off the ground. The elbow is way out. Like he his his form is 
garbage. And that like that pans out in his in his free throw shooting, which is another thing that completely drives fantasy rankings down. I mean, we saw that with I mean, that's part of the reason Giannis isn't as highly ranked as as people thought he might be this year is because his free throw shooting is is regressed a lot. It was the reason you couldn't draft Andre Drummond, you know, uh, early until like a couple years ago is because his free throw shooting was just an absolute drag. And he was at least rebounding. But like, you know, I I mean, I think the main thing for him, I don't think he's going to turn into a three point shooter. Like I, I wouldn't even put. I wouldn't even entertain the idea that his his three point shooting is going to go up. So I think if he's going to get value, um, it's going to be as a defender and as a rebounder. And I thought he looked pretty bad at points on defense this year, mm-hmm. just like completely lacking awareness. And I think that's a rookie thing. So I think he might he probably get some better awareness. But um, if he's going to keep rebounding like six or seven rebounds per game only, then that's that's going to continue to be uh, not good. Yeah, I mean, the defense is so hard to figure out because I don't think anybody was claiming that he was going to come in and be like a two-way force right away. I mean, most rookies are bad on defense, especially guys that are coming off of a lower body injury. Like, it was probably unrealistic um, to expect him to just be great on that end right away. But the counter argument is he was like insanely elite on defense at Duke. You know, over two steals a game from a power forward, you know, jumping passing lanes constantly against both bad teams and good teams, almost two blocks per game. Um, you know, a lot of those in highlight fashion, like the production was there at the college level. And, you know, oftentimes that'll translate, maybe not one-to-one, but, you know, he's basically averaging like 25% of his defensive production that he was at the college level, which is a, a little concerning. Yeah. I mean, it translated for someone like with East Eibel, I think. Right? right. And it's translated for other guys, but, um, you know, for, for Zion. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of his, we just really haven't seen him get that many, like you mentioned, like the highlight blocks, not a lot of weak side stuff, but he's also kind of dragged out guarding three-point shooters mm-hmm. and stretch fours. He's not really around the rim that much, and I think that's also reflective in his like defensive rebounding numbers. He's not treated like a big on defense. You you, you really can't, I don't think, treat him as a big on defense for a lot of for a lot of points. Like he could be a big against like Draymond or someone like that. He could be a big against the Rockets. But right. there's some teams where you have to play him at power forward, and then he's going to yeah. get four rebounds a game. He's, you know, kind of stuck out there guarding, guarding a three-point shooter. So, yeah, um, I don't have like a ton of faith that he's going to, you know, make some leap as a defender. Um, and if he does, I think he'll just be from adjusting to life on the perimeter and just mm-hmm. being more aware of what's going on. Yeah, I, I think it would be a mistake to try to make him into one kind of defender or the other, you know, either he only guards perimeter or he only guards in the paint. Like, I, I think he has that body where he, like you said, Draymond, you know, body wise, I guess he's like a, a super athlete version of Draymond. I think you kind of want him to just be like pretty good at everything instead of just trying to specialize in one or the other. So I, I actually have faith that he's going to be pretty good on that end. Like the number one thing usually is, is effort. Right. And like that by all accounts is never going to be a problem for him. And when you combine that effort with the athleticism that he has, it's hard to imagine that those defensive numbers don't, you know, gradually increase, whether it takes one season or four or five seasons. Yeah, there are a lot of times where he just he just gets blown by by like guards or wing players yeah. who can dribble. Like they just run right past him. And I I don't know if his lateral quickness is that great. Like he's an no, he's true. an insane he's an insane straight line athlete. He's an insane vertical athlete. Yeah. But that that's not what makes a good perimeter defender. That's what makes a right. good like help side defender or like, you know, free safety defender like Giannis. 
Yeah, I, I think part of that is the injury, you know, coming back from that. And then just the adjustment from college to pro. Like a lot of the blocks he was getting at Duke were, you know, maybe a guy gets by him, but he he could just easily recover and swat it from behind. You know, it's kind of I was yeah. listening to an interview with Kyler Murray, um, the football man the other day. And he he kind of had a similar take where he's like, there were a lot of times where I took some bad sacks. I, I you know, basically threw some plays away because. I just took for granted that I would be able to get around the edge and extend a play. And then I remembered like, oh yeah, this is Von Miller coming at me and not <laughs> some guy from the university of Kansas, you know? So I, I think there's some of that maybe with Zion, but it's just hard. Like you said, the lateral quickness maybe is, is overstated. That's probably like, if you're, if you're trying to poke holes in his athletic profile, like the lateral quickness is probably what you would, what you would go to, but that body, that athleticism, that effort, like almost never does that result in a bad defender. I agree. I mean, it, it seems, I mean, we're talking about mostly his fancy value, but at this point, yeah. I mean, it seems impossible that it's, it just seems, I mean, we, it's impossible that he's not a winning player, right? Like, I, like, seeing, I think so. I, like, he may not be a star in the traditional sense that, like, LeBron is, but I, I just think, like, it's, I don't know. He's not. Well, the, he's, the problem with him from a star perspective is he he can handle the ball, but he can't. He's not really going to be like a pick and roll ball handler. You know, it's really hard to be the absolute best player, top three player in the league when you can't like at the end of a game, like in five years are the Pelicans or wherever he's playing. If it's 102, 102 with 10 seconds left, are you giving the ball to Zion and letting him walk it up like like LeBron would, like Harden would, like Kawhi would, like even Giannis would like. I mean, maybe, maybe he gets to that point, but as of right now, like he's still in kind of the infantile stages of like being like a full or half court playmaker where, you know, so many of his 24 points per game were coming on putbacks and cuts and things like that. You know, there wasn't a lot of like run the offense through Zion, almost none of it really. Yeah. He's almost like Anthony Davis in that sense. Yeah. Where it took Anthony Davis, like literally until now or a year ago or however long to, to become like the primary option, a guy who could handle the ball. But he was also a point guard in high school. I mean, that, that's been said so much that it's like cliche at this point. But he he had those skills built in. Um, where Zion, yeah, like you mentioned, doesn't necessarily have those skills built built in. But he doesn't on this Pelicans team. This Pelicans team has more ball handlers than they know what to do with. So like you don't you don't want to take the ball out of Lonzo's hands, out of Drew Holiday's hands, out of Ingram's hands. Yep. To just have Zion you know, like mess around on offense for a little bit. Right. Right. And I think that right now, and I mean, he's 19, so you know, it's kind of unfair to judge, but I, I think, you know, like one of the arguments with you hear most, I think with LeBron, but really any star ball handler is like, yeah, they might dominate the ball, but at the end of the day, whatever LeBron chooses, whether he shoots it, passes it, gets fouled, like that's the best basketball play. And I think right now, like giving the ball to Zion is not the best basketball play for the, for the Pelicans. Not always. No. Um, not always, but when he, I mean, I mean, when he gets a smaller guy on him in the post, I think that's your best right. option on the court oh, sure. at any yeah. given point. I mean, it's just, you have to give him the ball. Yeah. Um, I think if the one thing that's translated maybe even more than I thought is his physicality. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of thought he would get to the NBA and be like, all right, like he's, he's still, you know, obviously a, a beast of a, of a man, but I, I kind of thought, you know, there'd be defenders who could slow him down and like. I mean, he was scoring just as easily, and against some teams, even easier than he was in college. I mean, his around the basket stuff is like Same. I haven't even—I've never seen anything like it in my life. And like, I've never—I've never seen a bigger differential in touch around the rim versus touch everywhere else. 
Like nothing, like he's a terrible free throw shooter, a terrible three point shooter, you know, pounds the ball when he dribbles, but you get him inside five feet. He has softest touch in the league. Yeah. And it's one thing to see a guy score like that, but it's another when like you watch the replay or you watch the defender's reaction also like afterward. And they just like look around or they look at like the ref or they look at like the bench and they're like, I, what was I supposed to do? And when it's like Zion's 19 and he's already making guys feel like that in the post, like they have nothing they can do. And that's a little Shaq-esque. Um, but, I mean, again, he's just... And we were talking about his offensive and his defensive skill set. It's maybe the most, like, un... We just He's such a unique player, mm-hmm. you know, for, like, today's game, where he's, like, this six foot seven, six foot eight, post-up, extreme athletic four, who, yeah. like, isn't a great post-defender. It's, like, a very weird combo, but obviously it's extremely entertaining... He gets his 25 points, and I think ultimately, like, he's just out there making good plays. He's just a good version of Julius Randle. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) I think so, yeah. All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Have a great weekend to you and to everyone listening, and we'll be back next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.